Welcome to Trapping Radio. This is your host, Clint Locklear. It's uh, getting ready to be the 4th of July next weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing all the fireworks. I hope you've got some stuff planned with your family. And it's just going to be, to me, it's one of those, uh, I don't like it. It's kind of like one of those markers that really gets the summer started, especially here in the south. Uh, being on the lake last year, there was more fireworks fired off at this place than, than I can even imagine, just everywhere we looked. And, and I, it was just really cool. So if you're going to do 4th of July and you have youngins, it would behoove you, I think, if you want to, to really explain what the 4th of July is to your children, why that is so important to them. That way they understand the power they have as a citizen instead of the subjugation they think they may have from the government. We're going to talk about on today's show two, really two different things. One is don't be a flea in a jar. The other one is it's a bid for a web domain and if you're thinking about getting into the trapping side of things in Texas, you definitely want to stay to the end of the show because this may be the opportunity that you've been looking for and that's not an exaggeration. I don't know what this is gonna, ha I don't know what's gonna happen with this, but this is a, an extremely valuable thing that you may be able to jumpstart way to get people to find you in Texas so you got places to go trap and we're going to talk about this because you may want to do this in your own state okay before we do though I want to thank our sponsors we have amazing sponsors I've I've been told there's been some weird stuff going on in the trapping industry uh, believe it or not guys I'm pretty insulated from a lot of the gossip and the rumors and all that type stuff. Basically, my portal to the trapping industry is Jeff Dunlap. If he thinks that I need to know something that's important, he lets me know. If not, he knows that I don't want to be part of the drama. And there is a lot of drama in the trapping industry. But I, I heard this not from Jeff, from somebody else. And, um, there is a company and some other companies that are in a, a bad position, I'm assuming financially, I don't know, but they're taking orders and they're not getting their products out. And I know one of them and I think he's a good guy. I, just, I don't know what's going on and I hope he gets this straightened out. But you, you, there, there's always the possibility when you order online and I've done this, I've got taken online before. You don't know exactly who it is, but the deal sounds good, the product sounds good, the price is good. You send money, but you never seem to get the product. And then, and then it, it's just total frustration. Now, this has went off and on in our industry since the 70s. And it's not a new thing, but it's more of an open thing with the social media that we have today. And there, there's two things I want to say about this before we get to our sponsors. One, 
you don't have to worry about this when you deal with my sponsors because they wouldn't be sponsors very long at all if this started happening. I would cut them immediately. The second thing is, guys, the, tra the trapping supply side of stuff is, is not an easy business. It's, uh, I know from the outside looking in, you see someone at a convention, people's handing them money all the time, you think that they're making a killing. That's probably not what's going on in the person's life. So if, you, if you're dealing with a company that you know and things seem out of whack, give them a chance uh, because, you know, it's not like most, most of the trapping supply uh, companies that are, are in our industry are ran by a single guy and a wife or a couple of guys or something like that. And, you know, somebody gets sick, uh, somebody has an unexpected something come up with money, and things can get out of control really, really quick. And if they're trappers and they're in the trapping industry, I suggest that instead of going straight to guns, kind of try to find out what's going on and maybe give a little bit of leeway. In reality, most of the guys, now there's been some, some uh, shysters in this industry, there's no doubt. But most people that stick around for several years, they want to have a business that runs smoothly and life happens and things don't work out the way they thought and all of a sudden they start getting in trouble so if, if you don't get your product from a trapping company try to contact them just ask them what's going on you know don't start the phone call with, I'm gonna come down there and kick your butt because one you're not gonna get anywhere with that and you're not gonna go down there and kick their butt I've been told that a thousand times and, uh, you know, just over most of the stuff that I've said on this podcast can make some people mad sometimes. It's never really been over them not getting product or anything. It's just over disagreements of sets and all kind of crazy stuff and, and people will say they're going to come down there and, and take care of me, their self. And you know what? Not a single person has ever showed up. And, but I can tell you when you start off a conversation being overly aggressive, you're pissed off, you're thinking someone's trying to take advantage of you and you don't know the story, you're, you're not going to help your situation at all. So I'm saying this in a long way. There's some companies right now that are struggling. Not my sponsors, but there's other uh, companies that are struggling. Be, be human when you're dealing with the brothers in trapping, be human. They're probably gonna figure out a way to, to make things right. And they probably don't know exactly how to do it when you call. But give them a chance. And just see what happens, just be human. But like I said, this is not something you have to worry about with my sponsors. First sponsor this week is F&T Fur Harvesters, everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. They've got everything. They, they do a show that they don't make money on uh, to promote trapping on Sportsman's Channel. I've been blessed to be part of that for several years. 
they they donate a lot to different organizations inside the trapping side of things. Uh, they're just really good people. They run their business at a level that I don't think there's another company inside of the trapping industry that runs their uh, company like F&T. If you were to take away the trapping products, you could, you could replace that with the organization of IBM or Apple or uh, Amazon. It is amazing and fascinating to be around them just because of, it, it, it's like, it's, it's not ran like a mom and pop. It's ran like a, a serious corporation. They have everything that you want. They track everything. So the reason I'm telling you this right now, let's say you ordered, I don't know, let's say you ordered um, a bottle of Cat Collector from me, from them last year, and a bottle of Soul Taker from Dunlap and some wire stretchers, uh, Sleepy Creek wire stretchers. And you remember the company, but you don't exactly remember what you ordered because it was a year ago. The cool thing with F&T is when you give them your name and address, they can look that up and tell you what it was. I can't do that with my company. I'm, I'm just going to be honest, and I don't know of too many other companies that can do that. But if you, if you found something you really liked and you ordered from F&T, if you called them up just said, you know, I forgot what it, what it was, I'd really like some more of it, in about 10 seconds they're going to have it, have it what it was. That's how professionally ran F&T is. And they have everything from predator calls to stuff for your dogs to anything you can come up with trapping. Uh, you know, that's the home of the FB1 and the FB2 dog-proof trap. Just a superb world-class company when you deal with F&T. The second is Oki Cable and Trap out of Oklahoma. I just talked to Jeb this week. He's the owner. Uh, he was seeing if I need anything at the Nationals because he's going to be up there this year. And uh, we talked about some different things. And Jeb is going to be buying fur again this year. And apparently he's always bought fur. I just didn't know he's been buying it the last couple of years. And he's got traps and bait making stuff and stretchers and knives, everything. Jeb's got everything too. If he doesn't have it, he can get it. That's the cool thing about Jeb. He's just a really cool dude to deal with and he'll go out of his way to, to help you. That's Oki Cable and Trap. Next is Funky Trap Tags and Supplies. They have a, a massive uh, catalog. Now, if, if you don't know this, Funky Trap Tags and Supplies is also Hilltop Outdoors. Like if uh, he bought Funky and he's also got Hilltop, there's a couple of reasons he does that. So if you've been, if you've seen Alan at a show with a Hilltop banner and you hear Funky, it's the same people. So it's, it's really two companies, one business with two different names. There's just some reasons for that that I'm not going to go into. But um, he's also bought the Sleepy Creek Stretchers, which hands down are the best. They got the really sharp pointy ends, so you're not having to cut the hide to, to, to get it to stick. Um, they're made out of aluminum, I believe. If, if, it's, if it's not aluminum, it's some type of alloy. And uh, that's, that's what I personally use 
when I'm using wire stretchers is Sleepy Creek and now that comes directly from Funky which is a sponsor. And they also do the aluminum body grip handles, you know, the setters. I haven't used another brand of those for 15 years. Because when you get something that works as good as that product, why in the world would you change? Save a few dollars, no thank you. They are the best. Funky's also making those now. He also has, uh, he's also making the Sleepy Creek Trap Die. They've got predator calls, they got stuff for hunting and fishing, uh, traps, they carry all of my products. Uh, just another company that's ran superbly. And when you put an order in, most of the time your order leaves that day or within 24 hours. So that's something that, that you can have some confidence in. Next is Dunlap Lures. Jeff's a good friend of mine. I feel like I should always say that. I mean, I'm good friends with Alan. I've just got a different relationship with Jeff. And um, I just feel like I should say that. He's He makes really good lure. Uh, you're going to be seeing... Uh, a new lure on the market this year and it's called she traps and that's made by sarah gomez now sarah and, and jeff has kind of uh, got together and uh, they made this line and i'm sure it's it's amazing lure but jeff has been making lures with his dad since the 70s He's been all over the country trapping. Just look up Jeff Dunlap on the pictures and his videos and his Facebook and you'll see you're dealing with a real trapper. Now me and Jeff put on a school. You can find all the information you want on the school if you go to mywolfernation.com, go to the PCG store, click on business course in schools, you'll see when the classes are. We have two classes, they're two days. We feed you, we house you, uh, we try to shove as much information as we can into you in those two days. We hang out at night and sit around, probably drink a little too much around the fire. Just have a good time. It's a really good time, but it's a serious predator school. We go over fox and coyotes and bobcats. And, and uh, we will go over other stuff if you have questions. That's just not what most people go to the school for. We're going to help you anyway. At night, you have access to ask us, and we can talk about all kind of different subjects when it comes to trapping. Me and Jeff are going to be together this year at the school. There will be a max of 12 people, not 30, 12 in each class. And we've got probably the most awesome setup for a school because of the the terrain, the different types of terrain, the roads, the water, uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard to come up with an environment that's not on this 1,500 acres that we have full access to. It really is. And that's what makes this really cool. And we're gonna go and we're going to drill down on predators in a way that most people are not used to. They're used to seeing a demo. This is a set, this is what I do, this is what you should do, this is where I put it. No, 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 that's very generic type information. We're going way past that. So if you're wanting to get way past the general information, 
check out the school at wolfernation.com. It's in September in Iowa, and that is something that you will not regret if you sign up for. All righty. I said you shouldn't be a flea in a jar. Interesting fact about a flea. You know, the little things that uh, if you're ever down in Texas and you're skinning bobcats and coyotes, New Mexico was just as bad. I would say Arizona's probably the same. When you skin down there, these little bitty critters called fleas, which most people know what they are, are tiny. You can't kill them with your fingers. And they'll get in your hair and your armpit hair and they'll crawl around in your clothes. And they are a nightmare to get rid of. But the interesting fact about a flea is it's got a vertical jump of 34 inches. So if you think of a basketball player that's six foot tall, that means they could probably jump 300 feet. Think about the size of a flea in 34 inches. That's an amazing vertical jump. That can get them out of danger and they can put them on things that they want to chew on a little bit because that's what fleas do. If you put a flea in a jar, put it in a jar with a lid on it, like a quart-sized mason jar, what is that? Um, nine inches, 10 inches tall? When you first put the flea in the jar, the flea can jump 34 inches. He's born that way. And he's gonna to try to jump out of the jar because he's a flea and his brain doesn't quite understand what's going on. So he's gonna to try to get out of the situation. So he's gonna jump and ping, hit the top of the jar and come crashing back down. He's gonna do that over and over and over and over again. He's gonna jump with a 34 inch vertical jump, but he can only go nine or 10 inches in the jar with a lid on it. He's gonna smack his noggin. He's gonna fall back to the bottom. Over and over and over. Now after a couple of days of this, the animal that can jump 34 inches learns not to jump where he hits his head. So he only jumps just shy of the lid of the jar. He wants out. He's trying to figure out how to get out of the jar. But after hitting his head so many times, he quits jumping 32 inches where it causes pain and he only jumps eight and a half to nine inches just below the lid. Now, if that flea is pregnant, an interesting thing happens. She lays her, her uh, gets her little fleas. She got a little family of fleas in the jar. They watch mom and mom can only jump eight and a half inches because that's what she does now because she didn't want to hit her head on the top of the jar lid. So these little fleas are born with a 34 inch vertical jump, but they see mama only jumping eight and a half to nine inches. Do you know that those fleas won't try to jump 34 inches? They will jump 
to right below the lid, just like mama. And if they had another, say there was some little incest going on in the jar, and they had another group of fleas, they would do the same thing. They can jump 34 inches, but in their mind, they can't jump 34 inches. So in reality, in their little world of that jar, no one can jump 34 inches. They can only jump eight and a half, nine, nine and a half inches, just below the top of the jar. Now see, this is a crazy thing to be talking about on a trapping podcast. Let's look at another example. You take a baby elephant when he's young and you get him away from his parents and you stake that baby elephant on a chain and one around his leg and for a year or so you don't let that elephant off that chain. It pulls, it struggles. In his mind, he can't go any farther in the world than the end of that chain. Now, if you've ever, uh, you know, I've, I've caught some animals that I've turned loose, and I've seen this just in a 24-hour period. They're free of the trap when you turn them loose, but their brain cannot conceive that they can get out of the catch circle. They can. They absolutely can but they don't think they can. Well, this elephant, as it gets older, you can take the chain off of the baby elephant as it grows. And it doesn't get very far away from that stake. Even a full grown elephant that can tear houses down and flip cars and kill people at will, won't get far from that stake. Now in reality, the flea could still jump 34 inches. In reality, the elephant could leave when you take the chain off if it wants to, but it doesn't. My question to you is, are you looking at life in your trapping like a flea cart in a jar or an elephant stake, stake down? I know some of you are, and some of you aren't. There's a lot of ramifications when you think about this example. If you made decisions as a parent, and you're always bitter about businesses, and you're always mad at the boss, and you're always thinking that everybody's screwing you over and that's all your kids see? You're doing the same thing to them as a flea caught in a jar. You're gonna limit the potential of not only yourself, but of your children. If you think the world is out to get you and the man is gonna keep you down no matter how hard you try, you can't get ahead. That's exactly what your kids are going to be like. That ought to set some adults back on their heels. 
If you're 350 pounds, you drink beer all day, you eat nothing but fried foods, and you can't even walk up steps without taking a break, and that's all your kids see, let that sink in. But people can be the same as the flea, or they can choose not to believe that they can't jump 34 inches because the lid's over their head. You don't want to be that, that flea that's in that jar. What I'm saying is you can't let a false sense of reality dictate what you can do in trapping. I see it all the time. I talk to people on the phone, answer emails all the time. People do not have the confidence and they limit themselves of what they can do. Just like that flea that, that now can only jump 10 inches or nine and a half inches. You're limiting what you do based off of what you think. See, there's not a trapper in the country unless you have some serious physical ailments that can't catch a thousand coon a year. You may not know how to catch a thousand coon a year. You may not understand the systems. You may not understand speed trapping. You may not understand a lot of things, but you can catch a thousand coon a year. I would dare say out of the close to 30,000 trappers that listen to this podcast, 29,800 of you can go catch a thousand coon if you so choose to. But not if you're going to keep running your head in that lid. Because there's no one that puts us in a jar. With humans, it's psychological. It's mental. It's what you think you can do. We limit ourselves in our trapping. How many traps can you get out a day? How many? Can you double that number? Can you triple that number? Could you plan ahead to double or triple that, that number? Could you preset to double or triple the number that you think that you can get out in a day? When I've been around guys that do that, that used to do the trapping contest out in um, New Mexico, Daryl, which is Albert's partner that goes and, and they've taken over a lot of the stuff that I used to do down in Texas. When he showed up for the school, I've never seen a human being that was a trapper that, that was that prepared. Now, he didn't limit himself on how fast you could put a trap in. Most trappers, including me, have not thought of this to this point. Now, the, the opportunity was there for everybody. But I've never seen anybody do what Daryl did. He set his traps in Virginia and drove them to Texas. Set. 
How do you do that? Zip ties. So he didn't have to take the time nor the energy to even open his jaws to put a trap in a trap bed. People in those contests that use stakes have figured out a way to wrap the chain with a zip tie. So all they have to do is cut the zip tie and there's no entanglement of chains, no taking the time to unwrap chains. Now, if you were to, and here's what I'm talking about, we put limits on ourselves what we can and cannot do. If we're at the Nationals this year in Iowa, and we're gonna have a trap setting contest, say a speed setting contest. We gotta set five traps that are bedded correctly. 99.99% of trappers are gonna grab a trap out of the trap bed and they're gonna set the trap the way they would in the field. They're gonna open the trap, they're gonna pull the dog over, latch it under the, the pan, or they're gonna set it on a dog list, whatever they're gonna do. Well, to someone that hasn't limited their self, all they gotta do is clip a zip tie. I'm sure if these boys were running a beaver contest, all their 330s would be set and their footholds would be set and all they had to do is clip the zip tie and put the dog across the, the top of the, the body grip. Same opportunity. Very different results. They don't limit how fast they can set traps because they realized I can jump 34 inches while most people are only jumping nine and a half. Now that may not be important to you and that's not the point if it's not. But have you ever thought about setting traps, driving them 20 hours somewhere and can set them faster than everybody else? That's not putting limits on what you can do. Most people only catch a certain amount of coyotes because of a lot of different reasons, but most of it is you limit yourself. You limit how you think about trapping. You limit how you think or understand animals. You limit how many traps you can put out. You limit how many permissions you get. You limit understanding where the animal's gonna step. Why are they gonna step there? You don't really think about the big picture on the location. Kind of fall into a routine, run to the crossroads, put a trap on each side, run to the next one. You just limit yourself. You limit yourself whether you can go trapping out of state or not because you may not think that you know all of the information, which you're never going to know. You've got to go figure it out. And you limit how many coyotes you think you can actually catch. Now, th there's like a, a ego side of trappers and then there's when you're in the dark in bed with the lights off and you're thinking to yourself side of trappers. The ego side, I can catch as many coyotes as anybody else can. If I had as many coyotes as they had, I'd catch just as many as they can. And my answer to 99% of the people that say that is bullshit. 
bullshit. There's been all kind of guys run to Texas. I've never seen 178 on a barn. All kind of trappers go to Texas. In Iowa, there are hundreds of guys, maybe a thousand, I don't know, that can go out and catch a thousand coons in 10 days. They do it year after year. To most people that hear me say that or they hear someone else say that, that's like an act of God to be able to do that. It's overwhelming to do that. Now your ego side, yeah, I can do it. But in the dark bed with the lights off and no one's around you side, holy crap. How in the world are they doing that? I don't know, man. A hundred raccoons a day? But you're got two legs and two arms and a brain, just like they got two legs and two arms and a brain. What's the difference? They don't limit themselves to 20 raccoons a day. Most trappers limit themselves to what they think they're gonna catch. In the dark with no ego. We, we all limit ourselves. We all do it. But every time we do that, we're putting a psychological lid over us and we're only probably jumping 20% of what we can actually do. If you've never heard of a guy named David Goggins, look him up. He's got a great book, You Can't Hurt Me. If you read that book, you will see what it's like to be around a human being that actually has no limits. Has no limits, mentally nor physically. Not because he's the most gifted person in the world, because he has no limits he's psychologically set for himself. When you listen to the stories of him running 70 miles where he breaks his own feet, because of the, he wasn't prepared. He's crapping himself. He's pissing blood. He's delirious. Has no support. And he gets up with broken feet and runs 30 more miles. Because the idea of him not running 100 miles can't even really sink into his head. See, he puts no limits. And we're talking about trapping, but this is business. This is your education. This is how much money you can make. This is everything in life. Most people are where they're at because of a psychological lid they put over their head. And they're scared to jump as high as they can because somewhere in their past, somebody said something they felt a little bit of pain and they put limits on themselves every single day. See, I used to have 
a goal probably about five or six years ago and I talked to several of the bigger supply dealers. And what I came to found out is there was nobody that I could outsell on lure because I was selling more lure from, from their records than anybody. And I was shocked because I would look at other people and listen to what they were saying and their marketing and, and all of that. And I thought I might've been top 20. And I had this number in my head, which I'm not going to say that I wanted to make at least one year in the lure business. One year. And I'm not going to say who told me this, but they have more information than anybody else out there. And they go, I'm not sure that's possible. And they gave several reasons and they were very good reasons. And one of them was my goal was way above what I was doing, but I was way ahead except for just a few others. Now, as I'm older, I really personally now don't want to hit that number. I'm not interested. But I can tell you when I heard this from these different uh, big time dealers, in my mind, that set a limit on what I could sell in the trapping industry. And I believed them. I don't believe them anymore. I don't believe them. I continually keep growing my business. And at a point where I'm kind of where I don't want to make any more lure than I'm making. And that's an honest to God fact right there. I'd like to be able to go out on the boat more with my wife. Go hang out with friends more. Go do some more experimental trapping than I get to do. Go travel some places I've always wanted to go see. So to me now, I don't believe that limit. But that's just not something I'm interested in. So anybody because a lot of people will listen to me week after week and go, Clint obviously has no limits. Yeah, I, everybody does. Do I think I could go catch a thousand coon? Yeah, in a couple of years of figuring it out, absolutely. Where is the limit on what you can catch? I've talked to a guy and I've talked to other people that, that know it to be true catches 2,500 coon. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. See, when I first got into the beaver trapping hard, I just wanted to catch 100 beaver. You do that for a couple of years, you want to catch 300, then 500. Where does it end? If you're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing for me, it was a little over 1100. 
I don't know what that limit is. But to somebody that's way younger now, motivated like I used to be, the way a lot of us guys our age now used to be, I think it's possible for someone to catch 2,000 in a season. We set limits. You can do more than you think you can, even though at the moment you don't know that you can. I'm going to give an example of this. Because uh, most of y'all know that I've been uh, really getting into physical fitness as I get older because I want to be able to move as I get older. And there's a thing in weightlifting where you have RPE. And what that basically means is when you're doing a set, how hard do you think it is? And how close are you to failure? And there's a lot of that that's really hand in hand if you're going to be a hard charging trapper. How close are you to failure? I think I got close several times in my career over the years of actual physical and mental failure. And I've talked to other people that, that believes the same way, but were we? Or will we putting limits on ourselves? So this is when I think about guys that talk about failure in lifting weights or how far you can push yourself trapping. This is what keeps coming to my mind. And I want, I want you to understand this is reality. When we were in basic and AIT at Fort Benning, Georgia in infantry school, the first time we road marched 15 miles with a 40 pound pack, I thought I was gonna die. I literally thought, and everybody else in the platoon that I was in, we all thought we were close to death. Three months later, I'm at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in the 101st Airborne with some hard charging, I mean, experienced soldiers. And we did a 15 mile road march with 70 pound rucks plus gear and weapons to go start an exercise. That wasn't the exercise, that was just getting us to the training. I thought I was going to die. Now what was different between the three months? Was I in such better shape? No, I was probably in worse shape. It was mental. I've never done a 15 mile road march with boots and a 40 pound ruck in basic. And to me, I thought that was my limits. When I got to the unit, nobody thought that was the limit. So everybody completed the road march with a much heavier pack. And I thought I was close to failure. Then you start gearing up for Desert Storm and you start feeling that, figuring out what an actual combat ruck weighs. It's about 120 pounds. The LCE, because we didn't have the ballistic vest and we didn't have the, the vest that held everything then, we had an LCE. So it's basically two suspenders with a big old belt and you put all your stuff around this belt. 
That weighed about 40 pounds. That's 160 pounds. Then you got your flag vest, your helmet, your weapon. Everything you can stuff in your pockets. Food, extra water, all that stuff. Minimum 160 pounds. 20 miles. I thought I was going to die. When it was over, I thought that was close to absolute failure. And luckily, I didn't have to go above that. But from a 40-pound pack to a 70-pound pack to freaking 160, nothing has changed except I knew that I had to do it. Because I was not going to be the weak one in my squad. I was going to mentally or physically break down to the point I couldn't take another step before I quit. Because that's what you do as a soldier. So my original thought of what failure or my limit was is not correct. My second, which I thought was my failure, my limit, was not correct. The third was probably not even close to what my real limit was, what I could do with a rucksack. Goggin says, with, 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 with being a lot of other athletes, the average person thinks they're at failure when they're only at 40%. That extra 60% is a lot. Could we have went 30 miles in a combat situation with a combat ruck and a combat LCE? I think we could have. 40, probably. 50 miles in a day? I don't want to do it, but we probably could. I don't know what shape we'd be in when we got there. But see, the limit was not real. It was all in my head. And that's what happens when guys put limits on themselves with their trapping. A lot of people believe they're not as smart as the people they see on videos and DVDs and demos and, and read books about. You're putting a limit. You're not dumb. You just put a limit on what you think you can do. Now, maybe you have to learn more about the specifics. That could be true. I'm not smarter than you are. You're not smarter than I am. But I've had so many trappers going, I'm just not, yeah, that's easier for you, but I'm not that smart. That drives me apeshit. Because it's not true, it's a limit. You may not think you can, even though you can. People have told you stuff your whole life. Your identity, whatever that identity is, and it, you know, people's identity could be 350 pound, beer drinking, pizza eating, out of shape guy. That's you. That's your identity. You're Bubba. 
everybody likes to be around you you're self-deprecating you're always you know talking about this that and the other you're fun to be around but that's your identity kind of like people that always have to get drunk that's their identity guys that uh, are fitness nuts that's their identity guys that are soldiers that's their identity everybody's got identities now your identity can limit you by whatever that is and most of the time that comes from what other people tell you so much that you believe see growing up I was a jock that's what I was that's what I believed people in band were banned geeks were geeks and people actually went out of the way to make sure they didn't break those rules. They put limits on themselves. Now, if you can't do it now, but you can, what do you do? You build up your skill. As a trapper, that could be understanding sign, understanding seasons, understanding weather, understanding soil types, understanding travel ways, understanding animal phobias, understanding their habits. It can be a lot of different things. Maybe it's just understanding the animal habits more than you do now. You can learn those. It's not a limiting factor to your trapping because you can change it. Your knowledge is changeable. The amount of work you put into this, that's totally up to you. See, people that are obsessed with something always seem to be the experts. Ten years, you could not talk to me about anything that didn't come back to trapping. Obsessed. Obsessed. It's not healthy. That I promise you. But to be the best at stuff, you have to be obsessed. And the more obsessed you are, the more willing you're to do stuff that most people that are, quote, normal aren't going to do. So let me ask you some questions. What can you catch? Not your ego side. Not the bragging side. Not the, the side where, you know... You can do anything. It's, it's, it's all blusterous. But the real side, in the dark, in your bed when no one's around. What can you catch? Now, my question to you is, after you answer that, is that because you're putting limits on yourself? Or how did you come to that conclusion? What do you really know and understand about animals? What do you? Not that you put a trap in and you put lure and bait and they're supposed to step somewhere. But what do you really know about animals? Have you limited your, your knowledge of that? Or your observation of that because of limits? Explain to me your trapping systems. Because they're all they're going to be different. I've got different ones for water, and I do land, and I've got different ones for cats, and I do coyotes. But what is your? Can you articulate your trapping systems? 
And are you limiting yourself with those systems? Now, here's a big one that most people are not going to be honest with. What are your weak areas? Now, I'm going to use a weightlifting analogy again for this. And I learned this through a guy named uh, Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell in Columbus, Ohio. He's, he's got uh, a lot of information out there. But his whole system boils down to one basic thing when it comes to powerlifting. What are your weak areas? You do more at what you're weak at than you do at what you're better at. Example, you want a deadlift, but you got weak hamstrings. Do you keep deadlifting more or do you build up your hamstrings? Louis Simmons has you build up your hamstrings. The stronger your hamstrings, the more you can deadlift. You're not going to build them up strictly from deadlifting. You may or may not understand that if you're not into weightlifting. We're going to put it in trapping terms. If you're slow at putting in sets, that's a weak area. You need to work on that. See, we all have strengths, like the deadlift in weightlifting. Maybe that's not your strongest lift, but you're a, a heck of a bench presser. Well, what do most people want to do? They want to bench press more because they're good at it. Well, you go to a meet and you got a deadlift. Well, you train what you're good at. You're getting better at what you're good at, but you're still going to suck even worse, and it's going to be more obvious with your weak areas. So, what are your weak areas? Understanding animals? Getting permission? Dealing with the weather? Your equipment? Your vehicle? What is your weak areas? Because if you can be honest with yourself about what your weak areas are, you can change your limits. You can. But if you keep doing just what you're good at, you got a set that you can put in blindfolded, even though you get in an area where it's not going to work well because if it's a dirt hole, it's going to fill up with rain, or it's really hard ground and you can't make it quite as normal, but you keep forcing that because that's what you're good at. And then when you need to change and you can't because you're not that good at other sets because you haven't worked at it, that's a limit that's going to hurt you. What are your weak areas? And then you attack them. This goes for business, marriage, money, everything. We're all good at certain areas. Congratulations. That doesn't mean anything. Where are you getting, where are you progressing? That's only going to be your weak areas. You, let me ask you, how can I put this? Um, who are you? What can you do? And here's where it gets scary because you're going to hear all these voices of all these people your entire life that's going to have told you, you can't, you can't, you shouldn't, it's too dangerous, it's too risky. All of this stuff is going to be in your head from a lot of people that actually mean you well, but they're not helping you. What are you? Who are you? 
What can you do? I would say that most of us have limits on this placed on us by other people and we need to take the lid off. So, do you have a lid over you with your trapping? I'm going to say you do. We all do. We just, most of us aren't going to be honest with ourselves because we we have this stubborn streak where we think we do what we want to do and we don't. We think we're our own man, but we let other people influence us. We put limitations on us because we use the word, I'm a realist. And it's not true. We have yet to figure out who we are even as we get older most of the time. And we definitely don't know what we can do because what we think is failure or our limits is not even close. It's not close. Now you may be thinking, well, I'm not trying to catch a thousand coon. Okay. But is there other ways you can improve your trapping so you can enjoy it more with your kid? I bet there is. Most of us want to be the guy or girl that can go into an area and pick it apart in such a way where we know the animals are going to move through and use the minimal amount of equipment to get the job done and catch animals quick. That doesn't have to be 500 or 1,000 anythings. It's actually way more important the more you hobby trap than it is professionally trapped because you're limited with time probably. When I'm in Texas, it's when I get up until I go to bed. Most people don't have that luxury. So it's actually more important to work on your weak areas so you can have more stronger areas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Texas for a second. And I'm going to give you some information at the very end of the show. And if you're interested, I suggest you jump on this pretty quick. What is it? It's a domain. It's about Texas. I'm going to give you the domain in a minute. Why is this important? One of the hardest places to get a hold of and get a grip on to trap is Texas. They don't like outsiders. They don't like people they don't know. They don't trust people because they've been screwed over by hunters and trappers throughout the years. They don't trust anybody. I had a student of mine that went to a trapping school in Texas that listened to me on buying a domain name and just the way life happens, he's got a really good paying job now and he's not going to be doing anything with this domain. So. I'm going to give, and I talked to him, he's like, do you want it? And I'm like, no, not really, because I'm not trying to build anything down there anymore. Um, why don't we try to, to auction that off? Maybe you can get, you know, a little bit of money out of it just to, to cover your time to transfer it to somebody else. So that's what, kind of what we're doing. If you're really trying to build like a predator control 
business, even if it's seasonally in Texas, this domain is money in the bank. If I was where I was at 10 years ago going to Texas, I would not hesitate to pay $500 for this domain because it's that important. Why is it important? There's certain domains that you can use on the internet that mean way more than something else. When you look at domains, it needs to be able to reach the people that you're looking for. Now this goes, if you're into business, you're doing online sales, you need to pay attention. Having, if you're doing ADC work in Rockwood, Tennessee, where I live, and you own the domain animaldamagecontrol.com and you're not an international or a full spread out franchise across the country, you're going to find out that domain is not very helpful. Because in Rockwood, Tennessee, I'm not driving to Washington, D.C. to go catch a beaver. And I'm not going to go to New Mexico to catch a bat. But I'm going to get all of this traffic that's going to waste all of my time with people all over the country because I have a domain that's going to hit really hard on Google, but it's not going to do me hardly any good. So if I'm going to start an ADC business in Rockwood, I'm going to have Rockwood, Tennessee, Animal Damage Control.com. That's way more valuable to me, even though it's not going to get as much traffic as just AnimalDamageControl.com because I'm not going to be able to use all the traffic anyway because it's not going to matter to me one bit. So if you're trying to reach Texas, think about what people are going to put in their computer because when they start seeing dead deer, dead sheep, dead cattle, dead exotics, they're going to want somebody to fix their problem. And most of them are going to go route. I know Bubba down here that used to trap back in the 70s and he shows up and he catches two or three animals. This is what I hear all the time in Texas and it doesn't do any good. So they start looking for people that are, quote, professionals. How do they find you? It's all based on what you're going to have on that computer. If you want to trap in Texas, you need something specific to Texas. Let's say you wanted to uh, get into red fox trapping in Maryland. Having the domain name Red Fox Trapping is not going to do you any good unless you're selling products for people to catch Red Fox. People are going to want to know how to find it in their area. So if you're trying to build up huge lines of Red Fox in, say, Maryland, you're going to want to have something with Maryland with the Red Fox. You kind of see what I'm saying? Like, I've got domains most of y'all have never seen that have websites that bring me all kind of traffic. They're very specific. Eastern coyote trapping. I didn't want coyote trapping. I wanted eastern coyote trapping. 
Why? Because I have an Eastern Coyote Trapping book and DVDs and lure. People out west aren't going to care what someone in the east does and vice versa. People in the east don't care what people in the west do. If you were going to sell um, a lure or a product for dog-proof traps, dogprooftrap.com would probably be a pretty good one. But if you're trying to build a business to actually trap in an area or a state, that becomes huge. Having uh, a generic domain name for trying to get something specific is a recipe for frustration and disaster. Because you're not looking for everything else. Now, if you buy this domain name, here's what you need to do. And this goes for anybody out there. If I was trying to uh, start up many different lines here around the Rockwood area, I would write articles about catching and videos about trapping coyotes in Rockwood, Tennessee. Because it doesn't matter if somebody in Oregon sees this. It's not going to help me. It's going to frustrate them and it's going to frustrate me and it's going to waste my time. Then I would break that down to catching coyotes and trapping coyotes and predator control in Roan County, Tennessee, which is the county Rockwood, Tennessee is in. And I would have several articles where that would be in the title and that would be in the the actual content and that would be in the SEO where you see at the bottom of the page and you put in trapping couch, Roan County, comma, this, that, and the other. The SEO, which you'll need to learn if you're going to figure this out very well. It's not that hard and don't put limits on yourself. You can buy books that will get you the basics pretty easy. You want to have what you want to have happen with a domain name. Because the way Google works, the more specific your domain name, the more pertinent it seems to people that are looking for that information. And the way that all algorithm systems, search engines work, is the better the customers find what they're looking for, the more they're going to use that platform, the more advertising that they can sell, the more money they're going to make. So the better they are at getting the people where you want to go, the better you're going to be. How many times have you looked up something online with a search term and you get crazy stuff that you're like going, why is this even coming up? Because people aren't being specific. They're not being specific. And the catch that people that don't work the internet very much is the more traffic, the better. Could be, probably not. Not if you're doing something in a localized area. You want to be specific. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you an email and a date in a domain name, I don't make anything from this. The bids start at twenty dollars. 
if you want to pay $20 for this, you send an email to the email I'm getting ready to give you, and there's a date that the bid's going to close, and whoever has the highest bid, $20, $30, $35, $50, whatever it is, you're going to send Jonathan the money, and he's going to transfer you over this domain name. I don't make anything from this. But if you're trying to build a trapping business in Texas for trapping for people, this is going to be one of the biggest legs up that you can imagine. If you put some work and you do some content and you do some videos and stuff like that. It's not that difficult, but it is going to take some work. Just because you get the domain name don't mean you're automatically going to be the top of the page for everything. That, that's, that's not true either. But when people are putting in predator control for Texas or trapping in Texas, you're probably going to be seen pretty dang quick. So what does that mean to you, the trapper? If I go to Texas, I'm going to tell you what I make. Some of y'all are going to think it's not enough if you're doing city stuff, and some of you in the country is going to think I'm charging you too much or charging people too much. Depending on what the fur is that year, if cats are bringing 400, property is more important to me than making an extra $500 from the landowner. Because if I can catch an extra $1,000 worth of cats, and another five or six hundred dollars worth of coons, I'm not going to squabble over a couple hundred dollars. So if the fur market's up, I charge eighteen hundred dollars a week in Texas. If the market's down, I charge twenty two hundred dollars a week. Most jobs are going to be a minimum of two weeks because of the size of the places. How many of those jobs do you need before even if you paid $100 for this domain, that's irrelevant? See, most people are so tight on the front end that they don't make any money on the back end. So they don't want to spend any real money on a domain they can get them real money because they're putting limits on themselves on whether or not they can use it or what they're going to do with it. So I'm going to tell you what it is, the bid, the date, and it's up to you. Don't send me the emails. Do not send me the emails. This has nothing to do with me. But if you're interested in this, it's going to be pretty cool. All right. The domain name is www.texastrapping.com. So anybody that's looking for trapping in Texas, this is going to give you a leg up on anybody else. The bids start at $20. The auction closing time is July 16th, Friday, 2021 at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Now this is the email that you send it to. I'm going to say it twice. JRM81 
jrm81 at yahoo.com. So it's jrm81, jrm81 at yahoo.com. TexasTrapping.com. If you know someone that's in the Texas State Association down there, they might want to put a bid in on this, I'm just saying. And if you're looking to build a predator business or to, to, to try to get a bunch of properties to go trap, you probably want to look into this and take it serious. And guys, I will talk to you all next week. And hope you all have a great 4th of July.